Lakeisha Gunter, and you're listening to Roar, an energetic and enlightening weekly podcast that will help you achieve more. This weekly infusion of candid insights, indispensable lessons, inspiring stories, and success strategies for living your best life now will help you on your journey to making your dreams a reality. My experience as a Fortune 50 business and tech executive has led me to meet some pretty amazing people. On Roar, I share real talks with top executives, thought leaders, luminaries, authors, and entrepreneurs who are passionate about building the next generation of inspired, empowered, game-changing leaders. Are you ready to fear less and move into your dream life? Let's Roar! Welcome to Roar. I'm your host, Lakeisha Gunter. So what do I mean by Roar? The beauty of Roar is that it's both an acronym. The acronym stands for Reflection, Opportunity, Action, and Relationships. And it's an action. We are all born with it, a hidden power inside of us. It is a fire that is often suppressed by fear. That power is your Roar, and it's waiting to be unleashed. Today, I want to spend some time talking about making the shift from employee to entrepreneur to becoming a business owner. Many of us have dreamed of owning a business since we were kids. Others got the itch to do so along our respective journeys. My question today is, are you ready to be your own boss? Well, my next guest answered this question with a resounding yes. About a year ago, Renetta left her career in high tech to pursue her passion, her mission, to make healthy eating accessible to busy families and to make it affordable at the same time. She is the founder and CEO of Foodum, and I'm excited to have her on the show today to talk about her entrepreneurship journey. So let's welcome Renetta to the show. Welcome, Renetta. Thank you very much, Lakisha, for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to our conversation all day. Um, really to talk about the power of entrepreneurship and really how you transitioned from having a phenomenal career in the high-tech industry, and now you're on your entrepreneurship journey. And I, from the last time we talked, you are, it sounds like you are absolutely having the time of your life. Is that true? Yeah, that's absolutely true. This is the best thing I ever did in my professional career, and also the hardest. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, I bet. Well, let's just launch right in. We're definitely going to spend some time talking about you know, your transition, your pivot, so to speak, from working in the high-tech career field and then deciding to move into business ownership and follow your passion or really just follow your mission and purpose in life. But before we do that, I'd love to just give the audience an opportunity to learn a little bit more about you, if that's okay. Absolutely. Yes. Well, tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about your background, uh, where you're from, and, you know, who were some of your biggest influencers growing up? So I was uh, born in Ukraine and um, my family, I moved with my family to Israel when I was three and a half years old. And uh, my dad was um, a factory employee in one of the factories in Israel, a line worker. And my mom was an accountant. So I grew up in a very, you know, very mellow family. And my mom uh, died when I was very young. I was 12. And that uh, definitely influenced and shaped my life. Uh, In terms of people that influenced my life when I was growing up, uh, my dad and my mom and my godmother that stepped in after my mom died, they gave me so much love and support and they were proud of me and they made me feel that I can do anything I put my mind to. So it actually gave me a lot of confidence to just pursue things that I could could imagine. (laughs) And that changed over the years, the things that I could imagine. And the other thing that's very interesting is that I grew up uh, with a Holocaust survivor dad 
Uh, he was um, he survived, you know, the Nazis uh, as a kid. And in my home, we didn't throw away food. We had to finish all the food from our plate. And um, this actually transformed into a deep environmental passion that today I'm pursuing with, you know, reducing food and packaging waste. And it actually was influenced by him. Wow. And I have actually a few other people that really influenced me dramatically, like that actually caused me to do things in my life. Like, for example, Warren Buffett. I read about him so much and his uh, investment and financial background and the amazing empire he built from, from nothing, from scratch. And uh, I understood the importance of knowing numbers and finance. And I went and pursued my MBA uh, focusing on finance investments and entrepreneurship and learning uh, how to manage finances in a very you know sophisticated way. And I would say that the other person that really influenced me is uh, Madonna uh, Bodor. She is a 90-year-old Roman Catholic sister, mm-hmm. and she's an Iron Man. She does Iron Man. She competed uh, in the Olympics as a triathlete, and she completed 390 triathlons. I want to be like her. I want to be wow. tra- to do triathlons in my eighties and nineties. She's my idol. <laughs> no way. Well, I think I've found I've added one more person to my list today, right? Compared to what you said. <laughs> that is absolutely amazing. I love that story, right? I mean, it sounds like you grew up in a very loving household and you know, um, lost your mom at a very early age and that impacted you, but it sounds like she instilled in you joy and love and, and made sure you knew you were loved and that you could be and do anything you wanted. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, it sounds like, you know, like I said, a lot of love, a lot of support in your household um, mm-hmm. as a young person. So when you think back on your experiences growing up, you know, mm-hmm. things that really shaped who you are, it, it sounds like you've articulated that a bit with your mom and your dad, right? And really just mm-hmm. kind of the the environment they created for you and your and your godparents, as I hear you say, your godmother. Yeah. Yeah. You know, is there some particular moment that stands out as a defining moment uh, that really helped you shape your roar as a young person or even in your adulthood? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there were a few, a few significant things. One of them uh, was uh, when I realized that, you know, growing up without a mom stepping in and like 13, 14 year old, you know, managing a household and cleaning and taking care of bills and everything. That was one thing that made me more serious and more responsible. But when I realized that my dad, my dad didn't speak Hebrew well and didn't read and write well in Hebrew. And he didn't know that, or he didn't realize that my mom's uh, life insurance was supposed to cover the mortgage. And he kept on paying for many years. When I found out about this, I sued the bank and the mortgage company and, and the insurance company. They didn't want to stop the payments and paying back what he paid. So I had to go to court and sue them. And I was in my early 20s. Wow. And that was a huge lesson for me. Like, first of all, the courage of like doing this. I don't know where it came from, but it taught me that uh, if like I can handle that, these big organizations and win. And that drove me, you know, to do the right thing, to be persistent and insist on doing what's right and what's mm-hmm. fair. And justice was on my side. And I'm really proud of that. Wow. That is huge, man. So it sounds like you uh, took a leadership role in the household very early on, right? Due to circumstances beyond your control, but just uh, your passion and desire to make sure your dad and your family was taken care of. You took on the justice system and you won. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You took on the banks and you won. (laughs) You prevailed, I should say, because you were willing to stand up for what was right. 
Yeah, and you know, in earlier in my um, in my teens, I had other experiences that were you know a little bit less dramatic. Like I had, for example, a teacher. Um, I studied electronics and computer science in high school. And um, one of the teachers, I had some, uh, I was had, I had some challenge doing something, and I went to the teacher and asked for help. And he told me, you know what, that's fine, don't worry. And even if you don't get a good grade, you don't need to worry about this. He told me, you just need to find a husband that makes a lot of money. Oh no! And that <laughs> just, I was shocked from that. I was like in the school with boys and teachers that were rarely girls and and female teachers, and that made me, you know, develop uh, my feminist approach. Of like, I need to take care of myself. I want to make a lot of money myself. <laughs> I don't want right, to be depending right. on anyone. So, uh, yeah, it, it really shaped me. This small comment from this teacher, you know, stayed until now. It's with me. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds like, you know, that spurred you to action. Like, oh, I will, not, I will make sure I'm successful and I can stand on my own no matter what. Right. And my daughter, too, by the way. <laughs> I'm just making sure no teacher tells her this kind of things. In America, they don't say this kind of things. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's talk about how all of those things that shaped you as a young person really have manifested themselves throughout your career journey and into entrepreneurship. I mean, you you and I have worked together at Intel for a number yep. of years, and we've had a lot of conversations around uh, things that we're passionate about and uh, some amazing ideas. And mm. you, you decided to leave <laughs> about a year ago and, and move into the entrepreneurship space. Space. Talk about what inspired you to start your own personal journey to becoming a business owner. Yeah, so it all starts, you know, like you mentioned earlier, it starts with an itch. Mm-hmm. And it's like a deep feeling of I need to do something about it. But it's not that clear because it's just an itch. You know, if it was if it was more clear, it would be easier. So I, I did start, I did work in startups in my early 20s. Uh, in a few startups. And um, I worked with uh, young entrepreneurs and I saw the challenges, you know, that young entrepreneurs fresh out of college, maybe a few years of experience, the things that they go through. And then it made me think that, you know, what I really want is to go and work in big companies and learn from the best in the world about business, marketing, operations, finance, engineering, whatever I can to learn, learn from them. And I did that. And then they each came back in the 40s. <laughs> Luckily, it's like, you know, 20 years after with all this experience. So I did uh, work with, uh, you know, some interesting, even in my, in my career in corporate and in, in companies, in bigger companies, I worked with emerging businesses. So my first experience was working with an Amazon-like business in Israel 20 years ago, and it was a pure startup. And we grew it uh, from like very small to 70% market share in Israel. That was super interesting. It was one of the best jobs I ever did. Wow. And then, yeah, my second day or other businesses were the solid state drive business at SanDisk and HGST. And then it's Intel, where we also grew the solid state drive business from like very, very infancy stage where the market was tiny all the way to billions of dollars. And now you have SSDs in all the computers and in data centers. It's almost everywhere now. And uh, then my last role at Intel, where I was a machine learning and and artificial intelligence technology director in the client computing group, it's also emerging. So I was always in this emerging technology Mm -hmm. environment. So, you know, I I took part of this amazing companies, teams and leaders that showed me how they grow a small business as a team to billions of dollars over and over again. So the transition, you know, when I felt my itch, it wasn't out of the blue, you know, it was, I was already marinating in this, you know, entrepreneurship environment in my twenties in small companies. And then during my career in bigger companies. So it came at the right time. 
and uh, I felt comfortable, you know, and familiar with, with this, although it's very, very different doing it on my own versus, you know, working in a company. So yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the things that made me comfortable, you know, transition, doing the transition, but it, it was a process. So it sounds like years of experience in uh, starting something from its infancy and, and really uh, seeing it grow into something big, right? And taking those skills that you had already built a foundation on and, uh, you know, satisfying that itch that you had. So talk about the idea or the concept that you have for your business. How did you get that? And say more about how you've evolved it. Yeah. So, you know, being like a little bit more, you know, experienced, I still, there's a lot of things that I don't know about startups, but I know how to learn and how to find the information that I need. And, you know, some common sense plus experience leads me towards where I need to go. And hopefully it won't take me too long to get where I want to get. (laughs) But so far seems like uh, it's, it's working well. So I practically what I did, I identified a painful problem and a complicated one, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, busy families that have busy life, you know, activities, kids. I did triathlons. My husband is working full time. It was pretty crazy and hectic. And I couldn't find a solution with what's available in the market. I didn't fit my, my needs, my nutrition needs. We have a diverse family with uh, different types of nutrition options. Like my daughter is vegetarian. I'm eating lean food and my husband and son, they eat comfort food. So try to figure out what to eat all of us together. The only solution is just to go to a restaurant and we weren't able to do it on like every day. Right. So it took me some time to figure out a solution that worked for my family. And uh, then I noticed that there are other people that have this problem and they wanted this solution. Actually, they, they actually started already to approach and, and implement this solution. So it made me start researching the market. So after talking to them, I asked them a lot of questions and I asked for you know, some more help just to identify and to articulate the pain point and the problem. Then I, I did a lot of research to identify what's the size of the market or what are the solutions, who is in this market, who's playing. And then I decided to craft, a, a, to test it with a, a simple, very, very simple manual solution pilot that uh, it took me a long time to figure out how to do it manually because you know it's hard to do it completely manually. But each process, each step here, it's a long process of like thinking. And I did mistakes and I learned from my mistakes. And uh, luckily, I pivoted very quickly. And um, over the last year, I was able to bring a, an MVP to the market and to have paying customers and have chefs. So in, in Sacramento area and in the Bay Area, so if I can go back really quick, because I know one of the things that you told me, I'm going to key in on something very important, right? Because mm-hmm. many of us are very, very busy, busy professionals, you know, working 80 hours a week to your point. We have kids, um, we're driving one kid to baseball, one kid to basketball, you know, we're all over the place. And so what I'm hearing you say is the challenge that you found in your own household was how can I, as a busy mom, a working mom, mm-hmm. satisfy the nutrition needs of all of the folks in the home, right? And because you couldn't do it, you said, here's a problem for me. Others may have the same problem. Let me figure out how to solve it. And I know if, you know, I, I can't wait till you expand to Portland because <laughs> I love to have someone prepare healthy meals for me. That's the one thing I'm looking for now. And so talk about how you it sounds like you brought some chefs in the mix. Say more about how you begin to test with the chefs and what that looks like. Yeah. So, so actually before I thought about scaling it, I, the whole thing started from just a chef that came to my home that helped, you know, my family. And 
the problem that I saw, so that we were wasting a lot of food, we would buy a lot of groceries. It's like hundreds of dollars because it's the four of us going to the grocery store and having the impulse buying. And I can't, you know, I can't tell my kids no. I can't tell my husband no. So anyway, we ended up with <laughs> right. like hundreds of dollars of groceries and then no time to cook. So we would throw away this food, which killed me because I was raised with not throwing away food. And then we would eat out like four or five times a week because we didn't have time to cook. So we ended up spending a lot of money on, on food, throwing away a lot. And I didn't get the food that I wanted because I had mm-hmm. to eat out. And eating out also took me a long time. It, it, it takes time. You need to you know, get to the restaurant, sit there, wait mm-hmm. for the food. And so it, it, the entire thing was so inefficient. And then when I was thinking about bringing a chef home, my husband almost got a heart attack saying like, but sweetie, we're not rich. And we, we are normal right. people. We're not, right. you know, we're not rich. So uh, I got permission to just explore. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I told him I got it. You know, the financial part, I'm pretty good with money. So I'll figure a system here that works well. And I was actually able to reduce our expenses of, on food by half. Oh, wow. Yeah, we were very inefficient and wasted a lot of money and food and throw it away. So, but we, we were able to solve the problem with reducing the food waste and packaging, the food waste to zero. Mm-hmm. There is no packaging waste because we're not taking now a takeout. Mm-hmm. And then they, when the chef goes to the store and they buy the groceries, they just buy only what's needed for the, for the meal. Mm-hmm. So it was very efficient and no impulse buying. No one, we, we weren't there. So there was no beer, no ice cream, no chips, no, <laughs> uh, you know, crackers, just whatever is needed for the meals. So it's actually even easier to watch my weight like this. Exactly. Yes. And then the, the other interesting thing is that the chef on the chef side, what I didn't realize back then is that there is um, a huge opportunity here or a huge market of resources available that is not utilized. And when they are utilized, they're not efficient because working with them, the work with the chef was, it took her a long time to do simple things that I actually automated on Foodem. Like there is an automated mm. shopping list. There is an automated, there is no back and forth with customers about what you want. The recipes are all online. So the chef gets immediately what the customer wants with all the notes. Automatically, there is a shopping list. Everything is done, you know, seamlessly. Mm-hmm. So for the chef, it's very easy. And the chefs are, are fascinated by that. They also, they don't need to find customers. They don't need to chase after anyone to pay them. They do grocery shopping the same day they get the money paid back. It's amazing. Like oh, with, wow. my, with my chef, when we worked initially, I would wait two weeks and then remind her, hey, can you send me the groceries? Because I don't want you to pay for my groceries. I want to pay you back. Mm-hmm. And she would forget about this. And I felt bad for her. So now I'm, you know, very... Um, I'm making sure that all the chefs are getting paid on time and they're normally getting paid two, three times more than what they get paid uh, in a restaurant, for example. And many of them are now also in a, in a very challenging time now in restaurants, they lost jobs. So in, in an interesting way, the solution actually worked well. I'm, I'm uh, jumping forward. Yeah, no, <laughs> it worked good, very well with the pandemic time, you know, yeah. I, I didn't expect it to happen and no one saw it coming, but it uh, worked out very well. Well, it sounds like to your point, a couple of things, you know, you've, you've found a system that works not only for your family, but it incorporates chefs who really enjoy cooking, but it sounds like you're making them more efficient and more effective and with less waste. And it becomes more cost effective. It sounds like for families who are busy, who may want the option of having a, a chef prepare meals, but don't want the expense 
that can sometimes come with that. And it sounds like you've solved all of those pain points with Foodum. And so say more about how you were able to do that, because I mean, you know, Foodum is all about healthy, affordable meals prepared by, you know, prepared by those chefs for busy people like ourselves. Mm-hmm. But my question is, how does a tech marketing executive who isn't a chef start that business? What sounds like you were able to leverage some of your experiences to really make this a go and be successful? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's actually a very interesting question because they, and I've been asked about that a few times. So this problem that companies before Freedom tried to solve, the hard part here is the economics and the uh, operational uh, mm-hmm. aspects. So, you know, to cook, uh, if someone knows how to cook, that's great. That's awesome. But in scale, you know, build a, a mechanism or a machine that works well in scale, there are a few core uh, things that need to be figured out. And my core strength is business and uh, operation and marketing mm-hmm. or product, which is exactly these areas of strength. The technological part here is very simple. It's a, it's a simple marketplace. So there is nothing, you know, crazy that need to be, you know, invented technology wise. So most of the technology people are not really fascinated by that because it's more of like, you know, it's more of a, a, of a business problem. Mm-hmm. And for chefs that are not very strong in business, for them, they just don't know how to solve this problem. So I would say that it's like, I'm lucky to be in the right place at the right time and have this problem. <laughs> so um, absolutely, my skill set is, is the right one here. And another interesting thing is that, you know, Foodum has two sides for the marketplace. Foodum has the customers and the chefs, the supply and the demand. And uh, I identified the problem, you know, from the customer side. So I am, you know, part of, of, you know, or my perspective or my need is, is part of like what Foodum is all about. And uh, one thing I learned about uh, businesses and startups is the best thing is to start with the demand and the customers, figure out who's willing to pay for what, and then, you know, find the response of the supply. How can mm-hmm. I, how can I give it to them? Right. <laughs> that's the right way. You know, that's the best way if you can exactly. identify what that up it? front. The demand in the marketplace is always the signal, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you, you can come up with a great product or a great idea, but if no one wants it, then probably it's not going to fly. But to start, you know, from the demand and find a supply that works, that's a good model, that satisfies both sides, that's the key. That was my goal to test in the pilot September to March, September last year until March. I did a pilot to test it out. And I was surprised to find out that there is like strong demand on both sides and that the model actually works. And uh, that's what helped me move to the next phase and basically launch the MVP, the minimum viable product in the market in March. Wow. And I think to your point, I think you were going to talk about, you know, the impacts of COVID because you launched around March and we know what was happening and really worldwide around that. So yeah. how has it impacted your business or how has it helped your business in one sense? Yeah. So, so just one more thing is that I actually did partner with nutritionists and chefs and there are chefs that are actively involved, you know, in Foodum. So they support, you know, the culinary side, they, there are chefs that test all the recipes and approve all of them. So so Wonderful. there is a strong partnership with people from the industry for the knowledge and the expertise. Yeah. And uh, in terms of COVID, yeah, it was a little bit shocking to launch on March 19, just three days before the shelter-in-place orders were issued. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the main things that we did were, first of all, quickly learned what um, the C- CDC protocols and guidelines were. They developed over time. So we had to many times wait because we're nimble and fast. So I had to wait until I 
I heard what exactly the guidance and, you know, looked around me and no one moved yet, but we couldn't sit and wait. So it was a bit of a confusing time, but we did develop a whole strategy and communication and made sure that the customers and the chefs are safe because that's the highest priority, you know, quality, safety and quality are our number one priority of everyone. So we launched that and then we, we added an option of delivery in Sacramento mm-hmm. City. So some customers are taking advantage of that. And the interesting thing that happened that I, I learned over time is that actually the TAM is growing dramatically. And I don't know yet how it's going to change in the future. But what happening, what's happening these days is that people that used to work in the office and eat in the cafeteria are now working at home. And companies are not sending them food home. And then mm. kids that were at school and got food at school, they're now doing distance learning at home. So they're also, so they're eating at home. So the eat at home portion is now growing dramatically. And there is more stress on families to feed their families while they're working and um, distant learning, trying to, you know, teach their kids. So I do see some trends of uh, food uh, pods that are starting to pop up, like a uh, class pods, food mm. pops, where family are grouping together and booking a chef to come and cook for a few families in one day. And then they eat leftovers the next day. And then another family hosts a food pod. So this way, once a week, there is fresh food done for the families and it reduces the stress for, for everyone. That's beautiful. That's just now starting, I notice more and more popping up. And then another thing that I'm noticing is that there are uh, smaller companies that buy gift cards for the employees so they can book an in-home meal prep by a chef. And that also reduces a little bit the stress from the employees because they have the budgets anyway. They're not using the budgets now uh, because the cafeterias are closed. So those are some changes that I see in the market. And we'll see how this uh, turns, you know, how this uh, flows into 2021. We don't know yet. It's hard to predict. Some things are going to change, but I don't know how much. Gotcha. Wow. It sounds like, to your point, you're adjusting um, day by day. And it sounds like it's still working well, right? I mean, I love what families are doing. Everyone's being creative and innovative to stay safe and still get the quality food that they they enjoy. Yeah, we're trying to help each other and you know, I'm I'm in this to help others, help myself and help others and create millions of new jobs for people that for millions that lost jobs now. Yeah. So, it's a great a win-win-win opportunity and that's what really drives me. I believe in everybody enjoying and and thriving. There there is enough for all of us. The question I love is it. how how do we do that together? Yeah, how do we go get it? Well, let me ask, right? I mean, it sounds like um, it's been about a year's journey and a lot of learning and sounds like I have some great partnerships um, that you've been able to forge. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But what is, would you consider maybe your biggest mistake or failure that you learned through the process and how did you navigate it? Yeah, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's some things that people tell you that you need to do immediately. Uh, like, for example, you know, I'm a, I'm a single or solo founder, female founder, non-technical. Mm-hmm. And everybody tell me, you must have a CTO. You must have a co-founder, mm-hmm. technical founder. Better be a man and technical. <laughs> and uh, I was uh, rushed and pushed into doing some things related to that. And these things need to be done. Uh, it's Having a CTO or a co-founder is like marriage. You can't mm-hmm. rush into it. You need to be, you know, dating and getting to know each other, making sure the values are aligned, that the goals are aligned, the process. Uh, if there are some, you know, some things that are not working well, then um, it's not going to end well. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I learned over time is that uh, many people have many different opinions. And I was trying to figure out what approach to take to build the MVP. 
and endless calls with people around the world, Israel, India, Europe, um, tons in the US, everybody told me what to do. But eventually I went, I meditated on that and I decided what I'm going to do. Not the best thing, but I have an MVP up and running. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I, I, sometimes you just need to move on and uh, it won't be perfect, but you just have to move on and, and see progress. And even if it's plus one and not plus a hundred, it's progress in the right direction. Sometimes, you know, it can be plus a hundred, sometimes plus two, but just keep on moving. Love it. I love it. I love it. So, you know, what are some of the key characteristics to that point that you, you know, suggest that one possess or build um, as they begin to think about uh, moving into entrepreneurship and really wanting to be successful at it? What are some of those key characteristics or traits that you think one must have? Yeah, well, there, yeah, there are the classic ones. And then there are the ones that, you know, you can you can always learn and, and focus and, and do more. So I think that the basic ones are like entrepreneurs love to solve problems. Like uh, that's, I think, a key driver in entrepreneurs. And they're normally serious hustlers. And they're also passionate about what they do. Fast learners and also visionary that, you know, infect everyone around them and the enthusiasm of what they do that you just want to jump in and do it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and a very important thing, and I don't know if you can, if you can gain it, it's either I think you have it or not, is to be very determined and persistent because it's hard. It's tough. It's grinding. So you really need to keep on going and follow, you know, and do the right steps. And eventually, even if you make a mistake, you know, correct it and again and move on and it will work. And then being very focused, it's a huge improvement. And it can save you a lot of time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So what advice do you have for founders and entrepreneurs in general, right? Any tips for them, business owners that may be struggling? And I know you've um, leveraged quite a few different organizations as a you know solopreneur, female founder. What are some things that you've also been able to plug into outside of the advice that you might give to those founders and entrepreneurs? And it could be yeah. part of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, I can split my answer into two. And there is a, you know, I, I came up with this, with this system, you know, very simple system, like mm-hmm. three things that I think that are great. You know, once you identify that you have an itch, what mm-hmm. do you need to do? So something mm-hmm. very simple. And then I can also describe some of the awesome organizations that I, I wasted, by the way, a lot of time on trying to apply to a lot of a lot of places. So I can just come and just uh, share with you a few of yeah. the successful things that I came across in my journey. So first of all, about the quick system. So I identified three things that I noticed that were very, very helpful for me. And I call it the art. Mm-hmm. So it's a, when you have an itch, there is an art, how to approach the itch. I love and, it. <laughs> the art of the itch. Okay. So, <laughs> I like it. So yeah, so the art stands for ask. A is for ask. R is for research. And T is for test. Mm-hmm. And uh, ask is uh, basically once you identify that you have an itch, uh, start looking for a big problem. So ask people around you what kind of big problems they have or ask yourself what kind of problem I have in my life. And then the next thing is also ask for help. The ask is also for help because it's very lonely to be an entrepreneur or in this journey. Mm-hmm. So asking for help at any stage from each old way, it's very, very helpful. Yeah, I, I lost my shame. I ask for help, like, you know, <laughs> like there is no tomorrow. <laughs> the other thing is research is very important to, before I jumped in, I did a lot of research to check the market, competition, alternative solutions, market size, regulations. And I changed actually the model and the business model based on the regulations because I initially started with a different approach. Mm-hmm. And then once I realized there is a lot of regulation in my approach, I, I chose what I do today. 
And then the last thing is test. It's like, it need to be fast. It can be dirty and ugly. Doesn't matter. Manual, very mm-hmm. simple Excel spreadsheet. Just test it. And before you put any money into this, or maybe just put a little bit of money to see if someone is actually willing to pay for this idea and solution. And I'm happy to help with like uh, explaining and giving more information about this if someone is interested uh, on how to do that because I got a lot of ideas how to test uh, foodum and eventually I chose a certain path mm-hmm. and um, I'm happy to share. So in about the organizations that I came across and resources. So first of all, there is SBDA, which is a government um, nationwide organization that give free resources to entrepreneurs and business owners, small business owners. It's amazing. Wow. You need a star, you need legal, you need an advisor. Oh my God. You just go in there and they give you whatever you want. You apply. And I got like a few advisors. It's, it's just incredible. Wonderful. So that's an amazing resource. The other resource that I used, um, I joined um, a co-working space that's called Atrium 916 in the beginning. And it was more than just a co-working space. It was like a family and it was a a huge, amazing structure. You know, moving out of Intel, moving to the world alone by myself, I would collapse without that. Yeah, I would come to the office and they would be my little Intel, you know, obviously (laughs) different. Right, right. I I got a lot of help and support from them. Also on the business side, they were my first customers, marketing, uh, apply for grants. They were like, like, like family for me. And after that, I got accepted to Fourth Wave Accelerator and Tribe Accelerator. And um, that's like the next step a lot of help from Colson Center in Sacramento. So I, I was able to identify the right resources that are helpful at the right time. And of course, there is the Y Combinator Startup School that is free and open for everyone. So I strongly recommend also to try that and learn just a lot of good knowledge from people that have spot on experience. I love it. I love it. I mean, what I hear you say is, I mean, becoming an entrepreneur can be lonely because if you're transitioning from corporate America where you've got tons of support in the community um, that yeah. you're part of, your coworkers, right? Who are there to support you. Yeah. Transitioning is very different, but I hear you say you don't have to be alone because there's tons of co-working spaces, incubators, um, mm-hmm. accelerators, you name it, that are, and the S, you know, Small Business Association has tons of resources to make sure that entrepreneurs can be successful. That's fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. It was very shocking in the beginning, uh, you know, not to have IT support. What do you mean? I don't have right. help desk. <laughs> I know. Uh, do I call? <laughs> I have a problem with my printer. Oh my goodness. I <laughs> love finance it. or, you know, market everything. And yeah, I learned to be independent and uh, I found my IT support. My husband is not very happy when I when I call him, but <laughs> I love it. Well, is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you want to share with the, the community of listeners? I think, you know, there are ways to start a company with, you know, very small budget. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just want to share, you know, that I'm running, you know, Foodum on very low budget, like like a few hundreds of dollars. And I'm I'm sure I'm I'm generous now, you know, it can be even even less than that and ramp it up all the way until, you know, the first seed fundraising. It's possible. You don't need to have a lot of money to Mm. do that if you know how to do it right. And um, you don't need to like, you know, break your savings or, you know, um, go and get loans. So there are ways to do it, even without like uh, big investments in the beginning, just to, to get it going and, and test it and find the first customer, paying customers. So that's uh, an important lesson that I learned that I figured out. Yeah, super powerful. Yeah, because I mean, many of us, we kind of, you know, have the mindset that it's going to cost us a whole lot and we're going to mm-hmm. have to 
we're going to be, you know, lose money before we can make money. But I hear you say there's tons of ways to really optimize your investment in a way that you don't have to pour in thousands of dollars and not see an ROI initially. So absolutely, um, I love that. I love that. Well, I've enjoyed talking to you. I've learned so much about uh, the opportunity that you've been able to leverage and really just your passion for getting started. And what I hear too, is that you really found a way to, how do I say, create a multiplier effect for yourself and your business, even though you're a solopreneur, entrepreneur, you've been able to find resources to make sure that you can drive forward. And that's awesome. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm excited well, uh, yeah, to be able, you know, to share and, and report, you know, along the way. Yeah. The, the this way is still, great. Yeah. The way still long, you know, the journey, uh, I have still a lot ahead of me. But it's fun to be able already to share because the hardest part is to switch, you know, from the comfortable, high paying jobs mm-hmm. in corporate to no income. Yeah. And then pandemic and then fires. <laughs> and you're like, you know, oh my gosh, all of them are still making all this money and I'm here in this journey. But that's the hardest part. And I, I figured out how to get into this and it's much easier now to keep on going. And there is, I, I have no regret. And I'm very excited about uh, what the future, you know, uh, what lies in the future. Well, I tell you, small business is the foundation of America. So keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) Thank you. So before um, I get to a fun round of questions, how can my listeners stay connected to you and uh, your business? Yeah. So the best thing is uh, obviously to come and visit us on uh, myfoodam, N-Y, F-O-O-D-O-M.com. And uh, please, you know, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn. And uh, we're normally send updates and stay connected to our folks. And uh, anyone that needs help from me, I'm always happy to help. Uh, just shoot me an email and uh, we can post it in uh, maybe the notes of the podcast. I'm there to help entrepreneurs. Love it. Absolutely. We'll absolutely post your email and all of your contact information. So let's wrap up with a fun round of uh, questions. And so I'll say a word or phrase and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind. So and this this is going to be a good one. Your favorite food? <laughs> uh, caviar. <laughs> Ooh, caviar. Okay. I grew up like- Ukraine. I ate it with a spoon as a baby. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I see. I love it. I love it. Your guilty pleasure, if you have one. Uh, massages? Even <laughs> in pandemic, I'm getting massages with a, a mask. I must say I'm not, I'm not guilty, but <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. And maybe your favorite book or maybe what you're reading right now. I read a lot of books about entrepreneurship now and the, the lean startup is the one that really caught me and really helped me build what I'm doing now, how to move fast and change over time and adapt to the new uh, environment. So I would say that probably one of the major ones that now drive me. I love it. I love it. It's perfect for what you're, you're, you're in, what you're doing right now. Now, I doubt if you have a lot of time to watch TV, but if you do, uh, what's your current <laughs> Netflix addiction, if you have one? Oh, gosh. So actually, I, I started to watch it with uh, my husband. It's a TV show that's called Alone. Mm. It's uh, people that are being sent to spend time in nature and survive on their own and what's going you know, through their mind and how they're managing mm. it. But actually, there was actually a very good TV show that I wanted to mention now. It's called The Undercover Billionaire. That, oh, yeah. That blew my mind when I saw that. It was such an inspiring TV show. Oh, my gosh. Entrepreneurship, obviously. You know. Yes, and I love that. I mean, they just do, the business owners just have a heart and passion for their employees and just for business. Yes. I love it. I love it, too. It's a feel-good show. Yeah. 
Definitely. And when we can travel again, um, once we <laughs> have this pandemic, what might be your, your next dream vacation? I'm dying to go to Thailand to the beaches. Ah, yeah. Oh gosh, or you know to you know to see there the elephants and yeah. I really, really want to go to Thailand. Yeah, I love it. Well, I tell you, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Renetta, and I will continue to stay in touch and listen. We are cheering for you all over the world for the most success that you can accomplish in your business. The best of success. Thank say. you so much. Thank you. Awesome. So much. Thank you too. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Roar. Tune in next time for more awesome talks with people at the top. Don't forget to subscribe and share so you're the first to know when our newest episodes are available. Until next time.